Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X Pocket. Pocket. <laughs> welcome to the Untitled Gen X Pocket. Does it have a triangle on it for guest James? I kind of love that. Rebrand. Looper reel. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X Podcast. A podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know-nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. Hey guys, today we're kicking off our Sunday shoes to talk about 1984's classic feel-good film, Footloose. Cue the glitter cannon! Kate, so this was a movie that was released on February 17th, 1984, when we were just seven years old. Yes. What are your earliest memories of this film? I just feel like this film was everywhere in my youth. People talked about it. It was on cable all the time at my friend's house. Definitely didn't see it in a theater. I think my mom would have been like, why would you want to see that? You're a kid. Um, <laughs> so Dancing is sinful. Right? <laughs> um, and it was just like the music, Kevin Bacon. Like it was just, I feel like part of the background of my childhood. You know, I have a very distinct memory of being in the shower, singing Footloose over and over and over again. I didn't know all the words. I only knew right. the chorus. So I kept singing it and my mom popped her head in and was like, do you know the words to this song? And I was like, no, I only know the chorus. And it, that was her way of saying, stop it. You're irritating me. But her way of saying, what's your day job? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was an earworm for sure. So let's talk about it because I have a lot to say. And this movie is just filled with awesome history and trivia, and I'm excited to get into it. Right. And it's just, it was so fun. It was so fun. To it just was fun. Watch. I smiled the whole time. You know, this is funny because I have an 18 year old son and I was watching this film. He kept kind of walking by and he'd stop for a few seconds and he'd watch it and he would just have this huge smile on his face. And I was thinking, this is crazy because this film really does transcend generation. I could see the joy in his face, just stopping for a few seconds. I mean, he wasn't going to sit down. He wasn't going to give me that, but it was infectious for him. It is. It's interesting to go, as you go back and watch movies from your youth and some of them hold up and some of them don't. And often I feel like, oh, the more of like a period piece, you know, like it was so tied to the times, the less it holds up. But I mean, this couldn't have been more of a 1980s movie. And yet it just holds up so well. It's so fun and it's still really relatable. You know, Sarah Jessica Parker has just not changed at all. <laughs> it was fun to see her. And I just felt like, you know what, this is pure joy and we need that. We need that right now. So it was, it was a good time. Good time was had by all. So we opened this, this was actually really funny to me because I kind of forgot how on older movies, opening credits are like full credits they're long and like we open on just different feet dancing to I want to say the entire song of Footloose which was surprising as an opening credit I'm like wow way to give away the farm like (laughs) we see all these different kinds of feet dancing you know the heels with the socks were not lost on me but did you know fun fact 
the gold shoes dancing were Kenny Loggins. Oh, I did not know Isn't that. Isn't that fun? That is fun. I know. I enjoyed that. That was a fun little bit. What I enjoyed about that part was the leg warmers. So many oh, yeah, leg warmers. Totally. And then also, do you recall the like pinstriped jeans of our youth? I believe they were Gloria Vanderbilt. Ooh. Uh, and you could see the one person with those on. I was like, oh, I remember. They weren't Sergio jeans. Valente? Oh, maybe they were. Yeah. Mm. Sergio, Sergio Valente. I remember the commercial, someone's on a carousel horse. Was that also the like, uh-oh, Sergio I think that was the song I was trying to sing. <laughs> I think that was that song. Yeah, that's the same song. I oh. just didn't do it right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, okay. We open on Beaumont First Christian Church in Beaumont, Oklahoma with Reverend Shaw, played by John Lithgow, preaching about how God is testing us. He talks about, quote, obscene rock and roll music with its gospel of easy sexuality and relaxed morality. This is when we see Ren for the first time, played by Kevin Bacon. We see SJP. I forgot she was even in this. You talked about her earlier and I was like, oh my God. So Ren spots Ariel, played by the beautiful Lori Singer, in church, painting her nails red. And this is our first clue. This is a bad girl. She's not listening to her daddy in church. She's not the good pastor's daughter. No, she's not. Reverend is shouting, Diane Weist, this is Weist, Weist, Weist. I think Mm. Diane Weist. I don't know. Get back to us, Diane. Okay. (laughs) She's his wife, but did you know she's only nine years older than Lori Singer? Really? Really. How old was Lori Singer? I did not do that math. John Lithgow was only 12 years older. Okay, so she was obviously playing young. Yes. Because John Lithgow was like appropriate dad age. Yeah, Um, I think so. Okay. I think it's really interesting that it's supposed to be in Oklahoma and yet you can very clearly see mountains in the background. Okay. I've been to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is the flattest state. It is so flat. I was thinking that it was someplace in Colorado because that's what it looked like to me. But it turns out it was actually filmed in Utah, which makes sense because Utah is right near the mountains. So I just thought that was an interesting well, was choice. was it Beaumont, Oklahoma? I mean, this is what it the was, internet told me. It was supposed to be Beaumont, Oklahoma. And okay. the reason is that it's based upon a town in Oklahoma who actually did all outlaw dancing. It was an old law that was still on the books and, and kids couldn't have a dance. Yes. Okay. The true story that it's based on was out of Elmore City, Oklahoma, in the heart of the Bible Belt, that banned dancing in 1898. So in 1980, the students asked the town to lift the ban so that they can have a prom. And Reverend Johnson said, real real guy, real dude, Reverend Johnson said, no good has ever come from a dance. If you have a dance, somebody will crash it, and they'll be looking for two things, women and booze. Wow. Dancing is dangerous, as we have learned in Dirty Dancing. It's true. It leads to dangerous things. Apparently it does, but but tell me this. Uh, I went to some dances in high school. I did not go to prom, but I did go to some dances and some sock hops and some homecoming dances. Mm-hmm. Did any of these things happen at the dances you were at? Because they sure didn't happen at the dances I they was at. They didn't lead to women and booze, nor did they lead to easy sexuality and relaxed morality. I mean, not for me. Not for most kids. There may have been some booze involved in 
some of the dances that I went to. Did you feel like as an adult watching this, I feel like there were so many nuances that I did not appreciate as a kid. One of the things that struck me is that in so many movies from our youth is that the adults are sort of in the periphery and they're sort of not real people. But these parents were real. These were like fully developed characters with conflicts and real emotions. And so it's a nice element of the movie that you get to see all of that. It was lost on me as a kid. (laughs) We get to know a little bit about the characters in the opening scene. We learn that Ren is new. He's new in town. He's from Chicago, from the big city. Big city boy. So Ariel goes off with her friends and we see the girls in the car and they're talking about teenage pregnancy. Is that right? Yeah. One of their classmates got sent away to have the baby because she wasn't going to stay in town and be pregnant. Well, you couldn't. We see this guy in a truck pull up behind them, like acting the fool. This truck has antlers on it, which, okay. Right. And he's tailing them. We're like, who's this asshole? And Ariel decides she wants to get in his truck. And so she, instead of just pulling over, because that would just be too. I mean, that doesn't make for good film things. She's got one foot on either open window. Right. And she's standing you know, with like her arms in the air and a big victory move. And there's an oncoming Mack truck and she's playing chicken. And when I was a kid, this was a moment for me. I really thought this was the coolest thing I had ever oh, seen. Right? Like you were like, she's so cool. She's bad ass. This is amazing. And this time around, I was like that poor truck driver. How terrifying for him. I, he had to be thinking like, oh, shit. This is a small town. I don't know that people were as litigious as they are today, but this is this is a problem. Right. And then what's interesting is that the guy like pulls her in, right? It's not like she even decides like, okay, it's close True. enough. I'm going to jump in. He pulls her in. And then we see the same thing happen later yeah. with Kevin Bacon. Yes. So she clearly has some issues with like proper boundaries and limits. Yes. And this is all within like literally the first five minutes of the film. Right. Yeah. So this is when we're introduced to her really as kind of that tropey manic pixie dream girl character. So the, the crazy kids, Ariel and her boy and her friends end up at the drive-in and she takes the boombox out of the truck and she plays Shalimar's Dancing in the Sheets. Right. And what's hilarious about this is everyone's just hanging out around their cars and starts dancing. Like, And it's just shocking that, oh, yeah, everyone has the same taste in music. Well, they don't get to listen to it very often. So I would argue that they probably just dance to whatever they get the opportunity to hear. Right. I guess so. I guess this is what the freedom of choice does. Because yesterday I was in the car at a signal waiting to turn left and there was a guy next to me playing some god awful music with the bass so high and yeah i'm an old person i get annoyed by noise okay maybe i'm like reverend shaw in that way but i was like how presumptuous of you young person to think that i want to hear the heavy ridiculous bass of your god awful music throughout my whole body i was so irritated <laughs> in such a in such a karen mood like you know Young sir, please turn that down. Young lad, please quiet your music. I'm like so irritated. Anyway, her dad shows up. Oh my God, the reverend shows up when there's music playing. And people are dancing. And it's a song about sex. Dancing in the sheets. Ah, 
how much worse could it get? Shalimar, Shalimar, Shalimar. How much do we love John Lithgow? Can I just say that man is so oh talented God, and I, I adore him, him so much. This is where I first am like, oh, in my mind, he storms in and is like, this is terrible sinners, you know? Uh, but really what happens is he's just like brokenhearted. He's disappointed. Yeah. He's like, this is my kid. And like, this is what she's doing. And I came down here to give her money because I was worried she didn't have any money. And I was like, oh, this is heartbreaking. It's a real <laughs> so. parental moment. It's a, it's a, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. I've been there many times. That's a real yeah. thing. That's a real feeling. We end up cutting to the first day of school and he pulls up to school in his yellow VW bug blasting metal health by quiet riot. And everyone's looking at him because we don't do that here. Welcome to our boring ass town. That's not right. a thing that happens. So at school, he bumps into Willard. We meet Willard for the first time, played by Chris Penn, who is actually Sean Penn's brother. Oh, that's true. I yes. forgot about that. Yes. Um, he died. Oh. He died of like heart disease. He died suddenly and unexpectedly. I think he was 40. It's really sad. That is sad. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah. He died in 2006. So he, he bumps into Willard. And it seems like there's going to be conflict, but there's not. Willard's cool guy. They're friends at lunchtime, which, you know, hats off, like literal cowboy hats off (laughs) to Willard for befriending the new kid at lunch. Because I've been a new kid at public school. Of course, I knew you when I transitioned from private school to public school. So I never had to have that moment. But I can only imagine as terrified as I was, even knowing people at my new public school. That must be hard to start school alone. Right. And I I was actually thinking of you because I thought I have, I started school in kindergarten in the same school district that I then eventually graduated from as a senior. So I have no sense. Right. Which is a gift. uh, actually. Which I was going to say, thanks mom and dad. Exactly. Um, he tells him dancing's been illegal here in this town for like five or six years because it's a sin. And Hey, guess what? You can't dance in Texas, Arkansas, or Montana either. What? What? Insanity. This is the early 80s. Dancing was everything. What? Right. Right. So. But there's this little part during the conversation when he talks about like men at work and the police. And Willard like has no idea what he's talking about. It reminded me of a moment in high school when you were talking with one of our friends and you said, hey, so-and-so, the dead milkmen are the best, right? And he said, yeah, except they might be giants. And (laughs) I forgot about this. And you were like, wait, wait, what? what? (laughs) The dead milkmen might be giants? No, they might be giants. What are you even talking about? Like the band. They might be giants, Lori, the band. (laughs) Oh, not familiar. (laughs) So it totally made me think of that moment. (laughs) That's true. That's true. So after school, Willard is in Ren's car and he says something like he's never bought a cassette before and that he doesn't listen to the radio either. He must be rich. Because he owns a cassette. Yeah, which was interesting because we talked about this in episode one that I bought Madonna's Like a Virgin, my first cassette, with my own allowance money. And I was earning like two bucks a week. So I don't think cassettes were expensive. Maybe he was saying like the cassette player was expensive. Maybe because he wasn't an old bug, right? So he had to have had that stereo put in aftermarket. From Circuit City. Yeah, maybe. So, okay, that was weird. And they're pulled over by cops for listening to music 
too loud. And Ren is actually ticketed. These cops don't play. We pan to Ariel's house where there's classical music playing because classical music is safe. She apologizes to her dad about the music. And the reverend says something or she says something. Somebody says something about music confusing people's bodies and minds. She either said it doesn't do that or he said it does. I don't no, remember. He says it does. He, okay. says, he said, or, or maybe he says that the, that the classical music doesn't do that. Um, yeah. um, so I have to ask you, did what you listened to in your youth confuse your body and mind? Did it? At this um, age in high school specifically, like I know we were listening to a different genre of music. Right. Did music ever cause me to do something that I may not have done? And I don't, I don't. Because the music of the time so. in high school, like Nirvana Nevermind hit when we were sophomores. And that just broke open a whole brand new genre of alternative listening. And I was into it. I dove deep. Um, and I was listening to a lot of Pearl Jam, a lot of Nirvana, Alice in Chains. I don't know that it made me. Because I was very much a good girl. Very, very much a Lori good girl. Lori was a very I good girl. Was you, if a you really, are a parent. I was a poster like, child. You wanted Lori to be your kid. My parents are beaming right now. They're listening to this beaming. I was a good girl. And I was listening to music that could easily be described as not music for for good girls. Well, what year did um, Nine Inch... Because the only oh, song that comes to mind is... Closer. Close, it's called Closer. We all know the song that I'm talking about. Yeah. But it didn't cause me to go out and actually do that. Like, I think I felt like it was a little bit scandalous uh, at the time. And, but it didn't impact my behavior. I, yeah, I don't, I guess my answer would be no. I don't think that music confuses the mind and body. Chuck, guy with the truck. Chuck with the truck. Chuck with the truck. Okay, Chuck with the truck and Ren. They don't get along. We learned this. And Ren gets a job at a flour mill. His boss flat out calls him an outsider. I'm like, okay, and this is the label we wear now. You have spent your whole life in the very big city of Southern California. Mm -hmm. And I left when I was 18 and I have lived in smaller towns in multiple places. And there were some places that I lived where people did not appreciate my Southern California background. And even though I never viewed it as a reason to look down on anybody or say like, oh, I'm so much better because I grew up in LA. Right. Uh, some people were very defensive about it and took it that way and really disliked me because of it. And that was a very strange place to be. So I think I think for people who haven't had that experience, um, and also arguably people who do live in small towns, um, sometimes, especially if you live in, not that this was one of them, but if you live in a touristy small town and you have people come for the tourist season and sort of put you down, it, it's, it, it's a thing. So it's just interesting to look at it from all the different perspectives. Yeah, I haven't had that life experience, but I'm sure that that's got to get tired real fast. Ariel tells Ren... Chuck wants to meet you tomorrow. And she volunteered to tell him. She's not his lackey. She wanted to tell him. Chuck's got beef with you. Very like purposefully like puts her boot on the pile of flower sacks. Is this the red, the red cowboy boots? The red boots, yep. I freaking love those. I wanted some. Did you have feelings about the boots as a kid? 
You know, now that we're talking about it, I did. I did want the boots. But now, do you know, all that I uh, associate with red cowboy boots is um, How I Met Your Mother, which I don't think you watched. I haven't. I'm like the only person that hasn't watched. It's like a whole thing with the the guy in there that he buys these red cowboy boots. And people are like, when are you going to wear those? (laughs) When I go to the tractor chicken Right. So who wore it better? <laughs> who wore it best? Fashion police weigh in. Definitely, definitely Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> so we see Ren at in the school gym on like uneven bars. Because apparently they have a gymnastics team and he's like skilled, mad skills. Like right. we learn a little bit more about Ariel because Willard thinks she's a girl that's been kissed a lot. And a surprise or no surprise, she really is because suddenly she's in the woods. With her pants unzipped. Her pants unzipped. I missed that as a kid. Yeah, (laughs) and they're on a blanket. And she said, my daddy hates me wearing red boots. We end up at the meeting, the infamous meeting with Ren and Chuck. And they're not going to fight. They're going to play chicken with tractors. Because, I mean, what else would you do? Yeah, they're on someone's property with someone's tractors. I don't know how tractors start. I don't know if you need a key. I don't know if they hotwired them. I believe that you do need a key, but I believe that because probably not a lot of people steal tractors in small town Oklahoma. Okay. So they were on tractors and Ren's like, yeah, I've never driven one of these before. It was a little bit scary to him. We learned that Chuck has had a lot to smoke, so... Chuck is not in prime chicken tractor form. These guys start out, Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero plays. And Which, it was, it was awesome. It's great, right? It was like awesome. I was singing yeah. it. I was loving it. Even when Ren's shoelace got caught in the pedal and I was a little bit scared for his safety, I was still grooving because the song lent itself to it. Because aren't we all holding out for a hero? <laughs> we are. And clearly Ariel was. So Ren, like, accidentally kind of wins this chicken race, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. He meant to jump off. No, he just got stuck. Although I do appreciate the detail of that moment because it's not just because you're like, well, couldn't you just slide your foot out to the side and get it off? No, because it was actually, like, trapped between, like, two little parts. So he would have had to, like, put his foot down and over and you're panicked and that's not going to happen. Wow. I didn't notice it. So I'm glad that you did. Shout out to the technical director right? or whoever manages stunts. So there's word on the small streets of Beaumont that there's trouble a-brewing in the town. Yeah, this kid's trouble. Uncle tells him, I'm not trying to take your dad's place, but that was enough. Like the mention of his father was enough for him to get super mad and leave in a huff because he decided that he needs to blow off some steam by smoking and drinking and dancing in a warehouse. And dancing because of course. Avi, 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 Avi. In my favorite move of all time, he begins his dance by pushing off from the hood of his VW bug. And it was so flash dance. Was that unique to the 80s to have like these long dance montages in movies? I love it. We don't have enough no. of that. It's it's so inspiring. Even though you're like, there's no way that Kevin Bacon has all of these moves. And why is it here? But like, also, I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. And I never want it to end. Apparently, he had like five dance doubles. Uh, I think it was like dance and stunt and gymnast. 
Exactly. And he was a little bit bitter about that because he really wanted to do all of his own dancing, which I think he has rhythm. I think that he did do a lot of his dancing, but like maybe the more technical things on the uneven bars, for example. And when he was doing, when he was swinging off like rafters slash bridge on Claire and doing cartwheels and a lot of gymnastic dancing, maybe that was when those stunt people came in. But I think that he has a lot of natural rhythm. I feel like that might've been a lot, even for like Patrick Swayze. It was a pretty intense scene. It was. So I think there's no shame, Kevin Bacon, no shame. None at all. So Ariel shows up and she's watching and he's like all sweaty. And she asks him, why don't you like me? Don't you want to kiss me? And he tells her someday. And this is when we learn Ren's a good guy. He's not just out for Ariel because he knows that she's kissed a lot of boys. Right. And he also kind of sees what she's doing, right? Like he's kind of... He's smarter than... He's on to her. Yeah. Yeah. So... She takes him to, I guess it's like a train junkyard. Is that what that was? Yeah, it's some kind of, like, is it an engine, a caboose? I don't know. It's some sort of train car that has writing all over it. Like poems and... From books they're not supposed to read because they do ban books in this town. And their own sort of, like, Fahrenheit 451 rebellion. She reads a poem that she wrote. And so she's a deep girl with feelings and lots of frustrations. And she's just dying to feel something. So what does she do, Katie? In her manic pixie dream girl way what does she do next she stands in front of the train an oncoming train which let me tell you the idea of screaming into a train seems like it could be a really satisfying experience however like not in like don't like let the train hit you like just make a really loud noise as it's going by we have to have just like when she's standing between the cars and the truck is coming here she is standing in front of the train and she's not moving and Kevin Bacon jumps at the last second and pushes her out of the way. So here we have this again, where she's being like saved at the last second that her family has tragically lost her older brother to an accident. So like the added recklessness of this, of what her parents would have to suffer if she were harmed in this way, is like extra heavy. It is extra heavy, which makes me wonder, is Ariel suffering from some sort of depression? She lost her brother in an accident, which we learn later, and she's hurting. And I don't know that she's ever really dealt with it. And she says she's dying to feel something, but like she will literally die trying to feel something. want to analyze it a little deeper too. Like, did that accident happening to her brother, like, cause her life to be really stifled because her parents became very overprotective. Like her dad became overprotective of the whole town. And so by acting out in that way, she's sort of getting different attention. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychologist either. (laughs) But in that moment when Ren rescues her and they're both on the ground, is kind of typically the moment where the kiss happens. And it didn't. And I appreciated that because he was kind of irritated with her, which kind of appreciated Let's talk about this for a moment, because this is something that I was considering. In so many movies that we watch, there's always this kind of moment of tension, right? Where these people who, like, have some sexual tension between them but aren't dating kind of end up and they're looking at each other and you're like, and now a kiss is going to come. So I know that you have been married to your husband for a long time. 22 years, baby. Yes. Happy anniversary. Thank you. 
But so, so maybe you haven't had the opportunity to kiss a lot of new people. (laughs) Um, That's a fair statement. Right. I've kissed a decent amount of people in my 44 years of being single. And uh, I've As a girl who kisses a lot of boys. Me and Ariel. I mean, I didn't start kissing the boys until I was about 18. (laughs) I was a little bit of a late bloomer, but um, I like to think that I've made up for it. Um, (laughs) All that rock and roll music, man. Right. I've never had that. Okay, maybe once I've had that moment of like the tension where you're like, oh, what, like, what's going to happen here? Like, I just, I think it happens in the movies all the time. And I just don't think it happens as much in real life. Like, did someone almost die and somebody then lands on top of somebody and then that's the moment you kiss? Because I just don't think it is. You know, my first date with my husband was in 1994 and we went to go see Speed in theaters, the iconic (laughs) film with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. And there's a lot of tension. It's a tense movie. And I believe that when they kiss for the first time, it's because they end up on the ground on top of each other. And there's the big movie moment. And we all buy into it because it's a good time. But that doesn't happen in this movie. No, it doesn't. You're like, oh, it's going to, oh, no. Oh, no. It's not. Not only does he not kiss her, he just promptly and responsibly deposits her home where her dad is waiting. And she admits that she was with Ren. And he says, I don't want you seeing that boy. All these problems that we're having with you relate directly to this boy. Right. It's it's nothing that we have done as overprotective parents. It's all Ren. <laughs> well, Ren decides we need to have a dance. And not only that, I'm going to show my new friends, Rusty, SJP, Willard, and Ariel, what it's like outside of this small town. They need to know what they're missing. And so they all venture off across state lines, presumably. And I think Ariel's braless, which is another, like... I think she's braless a couple times. In yeah, movie. sort of like defiant moment. And, and her, red, her red boots. Um, they escape off to a bar, which is crazy because they enter it no problem. They're seniors in high school. They're smoking, they're drinking, like nobody has a fake ID. So here's the thing, and I don't know when the law changed, but for a time in some states, in many states, you could drink at the age of 18. You could drink at the age of 18 if it was like, I actually researched this because I'm a dork, 3.2% ABW, alcohol by weight, which I guess it's now measured in volume. You could drink that at 18 trying to think because I had a friend who was 10 years older than me. So I turned 18 in 1994. So she would have turned 18 in 1984. And she could drink at 18. Interesting. So some places maybe that was still true. So it was like so easy peasy for them to get this booze and they're at a bar having a good time while John Mellencamp's so good plays and Kate I know that you have been to a Mellencamp concert. I have. How was it? It was good. I enjoyed it. In fact, I feel like it, it came up very unexpectedly. I was visiting some family. We had the opportunity to go. I was super excited. And then for some reason we had to leave early and I was really, it was like the kids wanted to go and, and I was what? like, they weren't into it. They were kind of into it, but like, I think they were kind of like, oh, okay, let's go. And I was like, oh, I, this is an interesting part of having children that I think I don't understand. Like, I don't ever have to stop having the fun that I'm having for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm well-versed. <laughs> okay. I love my nieces and nephews, so I guess we'll leave. <laughs> so 
So Ren and Ariel are just hot on the dance floor. They just could not wait to get out there and dance. They're having the best time. Willow refuses to dance and Rusty stays with them and she's trying to fight the feeling. But once Footloose comes on again for the second time in the movie, she goes out to the dance floor. She's dancing with like a townie. I have to say that I feel like when she's sitting there trying not to dance or like wanting to dance, but not dancing, like all I see is her character from Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Yes. I love to dance. (laughs) You can't fight the moonlight. So they, they leave the bar and they're crossing on the Crawfee Bridge. And that's when we hear the story about what had happened and that Ariel's brother was one of the kids who died. And after that, all these crazy rules came down for the town's safety. Yeah. And Ariel gets in big trouble when she comes home because her dad is there. Or wait, that was in the morning, maybe? In the morning. Yes. They're Because they're eating breakfast. Okay. And she gets into it with her dad and argue. And he slaps her face. Mm-hmm. What? He does not look happy about it. It's pretty intense. But then we see her under the bleachers with Chuck of the trucks. Yes. Who beats the crap out of her. (laughs) So they end up in an altercation and he's jealous of Ren and he can tell that that she likes him. And he says, you know, I know you want to sleep with them. And he says, I was decent to you. Like, why are you doing this to me? And what really bothered me about that is he was like, I was decent to you as if like, like it was a gift. Oh, you were decent. Well, well, hell, we might as well get married and have lots of babies. Right. I was just like, oh, yikes. Uh, There's some entitlement for you. She was badass in that moment, though. She goes full like Carrie Underwood before he cheats on his truck. She just starts like destroying his beloved truck. And I was rooting for her so much in that moment. But he just leaves her. So we'll come back to that. But true story, when I was quite young and dramatic, I got in a fight with the guy that I was dating. It was a pretty big fight. And we were living together at the time. And I stepped outside because I was so mad. And his truck was parked across the street. And I was like so mad that I was like prepared to have a moment like she had. But it was such a crappy truck that I was like... (laughs) There is no damage I can do to this truck that has not been done already. And so I just sat down on the front steps and uh, smoked a cigarette. None of those activities do I endorse now or encourage. Uh, Full disclosure. So my husband doesn't have a fancy truck, but he cycles a lot and has a lot of really beautiful bikes. And that is his, his true passion in life. And there have been times I've been so angry that I've stormed out to the garage and I see the bikes hanging there and I want so much to just do something to a bike. I'm so mad. I don't know what I would do to a bike. I don't know how, like, even if I punctured a tire, he would just patch it. Like, I don't even know what I would do. I don't think I could bend a frame. I don't, even in my hulkiest, most angry moment, I don't think I could actually hurt a bike, but I've had that thought and she acted on it and rightfully so because he laid hands and he deserved it. I don't remember that scene being quite that intense and watching it. I was like, Ooh, like this is the one part of this movie that is a little rough. Like the rest of it is kind of fun and lighthearted and whatever. And pure joy. And then that part you're like, Ooh, yeah. So she ends up calling Ren and he comes somehow a music box appears. Where did it come from? This was very unclear to me. It's the eighties. That would just happen. Okay. So there's a music (laughs) box 
And they have their, their moment, they kiss, and an instrumental version of Almost Paradise plays in perfect harmony with the moment. Like it was, it was a mood and I, I loved it. I think we skipped over just real quick about how Willard admits that he doesn't know how to dance. Because oh, right. Ren is preparing to fight the town council for their right to dance at prom. So um, he teaches Willard to dance. And what was so, this was a great scene. I loved it. I smiled. It was so ridiculous. He is being taught to dance. He clearly has no rhythm in an open field in the school gym on the football field while let's hear it for the boy plays. And it was awesome. And a fun little tidbit of trivia, Michael Penn really couldn't dance. He didn't. I believe this. Um, (laughs) It was so fun. So, okay, Ren is preparing to fight the town council on this right to dance. And he admits, I'm not prepared to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. So she gives him a Bible. Ariel gives him a Bible with verses marked to make him better prepared. So the reverend tells his wife, when kids dance together, they become sexually irresponsible. And his wife, she's so kind. And she's just the Greek chorus. She says, None of this is going to undo one stupid accident. Also, yes, I love his wife. She's just so, she's awesome. I also like that she's like, oh, honey, remember like all it took was for us to just like look at each other. Like, what are you going to do? Like get rid of their eyes? Speaking of Greek choruses. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So it's time for the town council meeting and Ariel's there in a dance your ass off shirt, which I thought was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) She like opens her jacket real quick to show it and closes it back up. (laughs) A little peekaboo moment. And Ren starts talking and he's like shut down by the reverend, but his wife, Vi, says he has a right to be heard. And I was like, yes. And Ren starts quoting Bible passages in which dancing is encouraged. And fun trivia. So apparently Kevin Bacon like has this fear of public speaking or something or did back <laughs> then, which is funny for an actor. And so he was saying like he was on Valium or something during that scene. He was just so terrified of it to be around that many people talking. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. So I have to say, I love this part of this movie. It's like one of my favorite parts. And it was funny because my absolute favorite part is when he quotes Ecclesiastes and is talking about that there is a season for everything and and ends and, and there is a time to dance. And it just so happens that last night there was a very important speech given by someone in our country. And they also quoted Ecclesiastes. And I was listening and I literally was like, and there is a time to dance. Oh, wait, that's not part of the speech. (laughs) We are having a footloose moment (laughs) as a country. So it was just kind of funny. I was like, oh yeah, like that it's it's a good speech. Like I would like it's to It's a good speech. speech. It was a day. great scene and we don't actually have a decision made on this prom. But the next day, is that right? I feel like that's right. Right. Like they I think they don't make a choice, but then I think we find out that like it's not going to happen. But we have like supportive adult outside of the family situation in his boss. Yes, which is a real turning point of the film because up until then, he hasn't had a lot of support. Right. And the next day, Ariel is in church watching her dad practice his sermon. And I'm going to let you talk about this because 
this was a big moment in the movie for me as a young person too, because I wasn't exactly, I didn't get the nuance of it. I mean, I think it's quite shocking when she's like, and I'm not a virgin. Exactly. Because like we were talking about in in our Madonna episode, this came out in 84. We were actually seven when this came out. We didn't know what a virgin was clearly (laughs) as evidenced by our other podcast episode about it. Right. I think by the time I really like watched this movie like a lot, I did know I was Uh a little older. I don't know if you remember this, but I know that we had this conversation multiple times, which is kind of hilarious because uh, we were both not involved in those activities at the age that Ariel was. But I can remember thinking how horrifying it would be for like my parents to know that I wasn't a virgin if that had been true, which it wasn't. And so like the idea of her just saying that to her father, like in a church, (laughs) You know, this conversation, this very pivotal moment was interrupted by being called to the library for the burning of the books. Right. But he didn't explode. He didn't slap her again. It was nothing like that. I don't know, maybe because the moment was so interrupted. We didn't get a real good feel for how he felt about that at that moment. I think that what we see is him really grappling with his daughter being a person and flawed person sort of in his estimation of things and like how did what he has done like how has he contributed to the young woman that he sees in front of him who is doing things that he doesn't feel great about like what did he do as a parent that contributed to that like that's the struggle that I see on him through this whole film which I imagine part of the struggle that goes on when your kids do things that you disagree with is to think oh how did how did my influence not prevent this <laughs> you know? it's not just what he says as a parent, it's also what he's telling the community and how he's viewed within the community and his daughter as an extension of him. Right. So if she's not following the rules, what's to preclude anyone from- There's a lot there. He's got a lot on his shoulders. Like the overall sense that I get from him is just this kind of like saggy shouldered, like, oh God, like (laughs) what have I done wrong? (laughs) I failed my community. I failed my daughter. I failed my family. Right. It's interesting that he's called away to the library about the burning book issue. And he's the one who says, no, we need to stop that. And I feel like that was a real turning point in his character. Right. Yeah. No, there's some common sense. The prom was not approved by the city council. Ren's boss tells him like that decision was made. Those votes were made before you ever said anything. You can have it somewhere else. And they have that moment, right, when he's over at the reverend's house talking about his dad and about the son that died. Yes. And it seems that we don't know exactly what they said, but it does seem like a turning point. It does. When he then is like, okay, now we have to trust. Now we have to let go and trust, he tells the congregation. And we see the kids getting ready for the prom. And she looks just beautiful in her pink dress with the ruffle in the satin Ruffly, bow. I'm like, yeah. you could wear that today. It was really beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was in, I I should see if I can find a picture of this. I was in my cousin's wedding. I was a junior bridesmaid when I was eight eight years old. So right around this time. And the the dress was, was reminiscent of this. It was not. Maybe we could share it on our Instagram. If you can dig up the photo and wouldn't mind sharing. I'll just see if I can find it. But also, so corsages, can we talk for a moment about corsages? We can. Well, okay, but did you think it was weird that the mom gave Ariel the corsage on behalf of the dad, sort of as an olive 
branch mm-hmm. saying this is all okay. I'm celebrating you approval. in this. Yeah, I'm celebrating you in this moment. But like really the corsage should have come from Ren. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, personally, I just feel like let's just do away with corsages entirely, especially wrist corsages. It's such an odd thing. I'm sure there's a history of it that I have not looked up and They're I don't so know. They're so beautiful. I say do away with the pin on the dress corsages. Those poke holes in delicate material. I love a wrist corsage. Okay, I'm going to be really honest. I don't think I've ever worn a corsage because I was not a dance girl. They're beautiful. They interfere with jewelry if you've got a lot of bangles going on or something, but they're beautiful. To me. Actually, true story. Uh, one of my first jobs was in a flower shop. So I have made corsages. <laughs> um, it's a, so it's a skill to have. It is. Um, I was good at it. I liked it. And then also, this is not really related to the dance, but at some scene just prior to this, I was reminded of a lovely 1980s era tradition of the sweater with the sleeves around the neck tied in the knot that's a very country club adjacent i was like situation i'm gonna bring that style back i like it (laughs) the pop collar the popped collar yeah Yeah, we gotta bring it back pop collar so we see ren in his maroon tux which totally came back in style by the way because my son is 18 and he's been to a few homecomings and that is the style the navy blue with the black lapel or the maroon with the black lapel. It's hot again. It looked good. It looked, he looked great in it. He picks her up for the prom, almost paradise plays, which yes, perfect placement. Before the prom though, you know, they get the warehouse ready, right? They clear out the warehouse for the dance. And I was like, I have a little bit of envy in my life. We never got to come together that way. You know, we never got that camaraderie of like, oh, here's this thing that we've all worked against and like, we've gotten our way and now we're like creating this space. I mean, maybe theater is a little bit like that, right? But um, (laughs) so- Maybe because we weren't on the prom committee. uh, Was that the job of prom committee? But they didn't have to like- you know what I mean? Like this was really driven by the students. Like yes. really. Uh, and, and I just don't feel like we ever had something like that. And I was a little envious. I was like, oh, I didn't ever get this experience of like coming together in this way to, to create something new. To fight the town council. Right. And I would have enjoyed that because I... <laughs> we have the spirit of dance. Nothing more than challenging authority. <laughs> it, it's still true. <laughs> so what's funny though is the kids do come together to put on this awesome prom but yet they're all there. They're all dressed up, all shiny and polished, and no one is dancing. And they don't know what to do. It's like a middle school dance. <laughs> very awkward. It was very reminiscent of a seventh or sixth grade dance. Right. And yet Ren and Ariel walk in like the king and queen of the prom and they start slow dancing and then everyone follows right. as soon as they're on the floor. So it just takes that one brave person to be on the floor to say, let's get this party started which nobody wants to be the first. No. So kind of in a cute moment, we we see the Reverend again with his wife outside of the prom, wanting to kind of peek in and he's reluctant and it just made me love him so much more. Right, like, he, like he's human. Yeah, like he is not the ogre that I imagined him in my youth. Like when I was a kid, I was like, he's so mean. <laughs> but he was the actual worst. And you know, he plays Lord Farquaad in Shrek. He is an easy guy to hate on screen because he's very commanding and authoritative and he can be a bad guy. But then you also see this really human side of him and it's really sweet. The parents hug in this really sort of 
empty nester moment of like, we did it and she's going to be okay. Right. And I thought that was a really beautiful moment. It was. I like the character arc of like all of the characters in this, the parents as well as the kids. It's quite lovely. Yeah, it was fun. And then Willard shows up with Rusty and they're going to go into the prom. They get into it with stupid asshole Chuck again. And I don't know, Ren comes out of the prom and they fight off these jerky guys and they go back in. What do you have to say about that? Did you have thoughts on the fight? Just for a moment, I was like, wow, it's like Footloose meets Karate Kid. (laughs) (laughs) Because there were the power of dance. A lot of like face kicks and things like that. (laughs) Well, it was funny because Ren looks a little like worse for the wear after that fight. His hair is kind of crazy and he's got a really dusty jacket now. But when he goes back into the prom, there's the infamous let's dance when the right. glitter bomb goes off and he looks, he doesn't look like he's been through a street fight. So right. through the magic of Hollywood. Yeah. Through the magic of Hollywood. And this is when Footloose plays for the third time in its entirety. And Willard's finally able to show off his moves. There's synchronized dancing with Ren and Willard, which was really funny. And then the, the kids show off their moves and they know how to break dance and all this and they're a very talented bunch considering they're They've not never allowed danced. to dance. Right. So you just have to imagine that like somehow, you know, like in people's basements or whatever, they're like watching MTV. Wait, MTV had MTV. launched then, right? MTV. Uh, Solid Gold. Uh, American Bandstand. <laughs> and Shanana. Right. Learning these dance moves. <laughs> also, like, also, this is like the difference between being an adult and being a kid. Like, I'm watching this and I'm like, do those people still have glitter that shows up in their lives? <laughs> you know, they do, because that was a lot of glitter. I thought to myself, that took years. That took right. years. Like, whatever that space was, assuming that it's a permanent space and it wasn't a set that they designed. Well, was it glitter or was it confusing? Confetti. Well, it was like glitter confetti. confetti. It was like maybe a little bit larger than than a glitter square, but maybe not much. Yeah, I still, I just feel like that's just everywhere. Yeah, totally. A couple of cool things about this movie, though, it grossed over $80 million domestically. Like it was just so big. And the soundtrack was number one on the Billboard Top 200 for two months. And not only that, let's hear it for the boy and Footloose were both nominated for Best Original Song at the Academy Awards in 1985. They lost to I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder for the film The Woman in Red. But all in all, a ginormous success. But I mean, really, who watches The Woman in Red anymore, but who watches Footloose? Exactly. It stands the test of time. Yeah. So you took a peek at the remake. I saw it back in 2011. I don't remember a lot about it. I know I enjoyed it. But you caught a little bit of it recently. What did you think? Yeah, so my goal had been to watch both of them. And then, uh, you know, life, life just got in the way. Uh, So I didn't get to all the way through the second one. But it does open with the accident that is the backstory in Footloose, right? So you get to actually see the accident happening. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, They made the main character from Boston instead of Chicago. I think they're, I think they also might actually be in Georgia in this. I'm not. Okay. I can't remember why I thought that. Maybe because of a sports team or something. And then also there's like, there's just like interesting differences. Like he doesn't have a mom that comes with him in this one. And there's a very nice remake of Holding Out for a Hero. 
I was surprised. I mean, it really is almost word for word, like the same movie up to the point that I saw, which often they don't do, right? When they do right. a remake, they like change it a lot. So it was kind of fun that it was so similar and that they really did try to kind of honor a lot of the things like he, his uncle's like, oh, like if you can get this car started, like you can have this car. And it's like a Volkswagen bug. Okay. Right? So he ends up with the same car. The the last scene that I saw was in place of the tractor chicken, they race school buses, which I was like, Ooh. really? They're, it's like how school... they find school buses. Well, like the guy, the Chuck guy, or whatever. Chuck uh, with the truck. Yeah, he had like they have like a school bus, ro- not roller derby, like a school bus derby every week. So there's these like five school buses that like complete this figure eight track. And similarly, like he he like accidentally wins, like the brakes go out okay. on the bus. So he like should have stopped and would have stopped, but he can't. Like when I first saw it, I was like, this is so stupid. Uh, but then actually they, they kind of pull it off. So I, ha- I had to take that back. But I mean, it seemed fun. I think to me, I have such a connection to the original that the idea of watching this other one was kind of like, eh. It's always weird when there are remakes because on the one hand, you love it when they honor the original story because it was obviously worth honoring. It's iconic. It's all of these things. It's right. beloved. Everyone loves it. And it brings it. it to a new generation. It does. But at the same time, if it honors it maybe too closely, you're sort of like, why? Why did we do it? Because what's new here, other than perhaps bringing it to a new generation, but one would argue that that's the responsibility of the Gen X parent to bring that in the OG form to their or children. to re- do a re-release, right? Um, yes, in, in its original form. Mm-hmm. So it would lead one to believe that perhaps, not to sound jaded, it was just a ploy to make some money without having to do a lot of creative work. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, I was trying to, is there a musical Footloose, a stage musical Footloose? You know, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that, but I would not be surprised. Because there should be. Like, if ever there was a movie that lent itself to Broadway, 100%. like, this would be it. And I feel like there is. I feel like there has to be. So that's, that's some tough shoes to fill. Oh, absolutely. And I will say, like, maybe this really wasn't necessarily a movie that needed to be remade because it does still hold up. It really does. I would encourage you that if you enjoyed Footloose in your youth and you have not seen it since then, just go back and watch it. Like, especially we're living in very serious times right now. And it was just pure joy. to yes, like, and invite your children because they will enjoy it even if they fight you tooth and nail at the start. And if you live in a cooler part of the country, uh, maybe consider getting some leg warmers just for fun. Just because you can. And maybe some red cowboy boots. Right. I mean... And now I feel like I want red cowboy boots. I mean, they were hot. Yeah. Well, as much as we love the song and the film, the song will forever haunt Kevin Bacon. He legit slips DJs $20 bills at weddings not to play Footloose. And I have to say something Aww. like, I'm a huge Kenny Loggins fan. Kenny Loggins is my mom's favorite musician of all time. So there was a lot of Kenny Loggins playing in Lori's house. There was, and he has quite a few, I think he might even have three songs on this soundtrack. He was very involved in this movie, and my mom has seen him in concert probably eight times. She loves him. So it was really fun revisit for me, just in terms of, obviously, musically, but the film has a special place in my heart, too. So it was was just a rockin' good time. 
Don't you feel though, like if you, if Kevin Bacon was at your wedding, wouldn't you be a little bit sad that they wouldn't be allowed to play Footloose? Absolutely. If Kevin Bacon was anywhere, I might just start singing Footloose in his presence because why not? And you know, I do think it's true that like everyone is probably six degrees from Kevin Bacon. I can, I can connect myself to Kevin Bacon in six degrees, which means so can you, because I can do it in less than six degrees. Ooh, I know why you can. And guess what? I can too. That's interesting. Maybe that's a story for another day. Yeah. Oh, you can connect it to like, not through me through someone else? No, through you. Totally. Oh, okay. Who do okay. I know? I know you. So yeah, so that's kind of fun. Thanks, Kevin, for giving us such an iconic film. We love you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you can't wait to hear more, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And because we're newbies in this space, if you'd leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, it would mean everything. You can find us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye.